Hello everybody and welcome back inside the chart tank for another episode of the podcast. My name is Lewis and joining me as always are my co-hosts Alex and James. Uh, James, you you uh, had a rest week last week, but you're back now. Uh, how are you? Fright and fit, mate. You know, one week off, bye week for me. Uh, just getting into the swing of it with the new premiership with 13. So, no, looking forward to having a chat, although I prefer it to be under slightly better circumstances. Alex, what about yourself? Yeah, uh, again, not too bad, mate. Um, sort of knew what was coming results-wise, uh, but still a bit of a shame. So we're looking forward to some therapy uh, over the next 40 minutes or so. Yeah, well, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I don't think there's there's loads to talk about from this Exeter game, realistically. So obviously, Sale go down to Sandy Park on, on Sunday afternoon and ultimately get beaten 19 points to 12. Uh, Exeter score all 19 of their points in the first half. Sale score all 12 of their points in the second half. We, we do come away with a losing bonus point, but as a result of uh, other results in the Premiership, Sale are about down to seventh in the table at the moment. Um, James, uh, what, what were your thoughts on the game on Sunday? I mean, it was literally a game of two halves. <laughs> so we're not rewriting any scripts here. It is the old-fashioned saying. Um, and the only thing about that was just the extremes of the two halves. I thought the first half was... The one consistent thread through both halves was franticness. We played with a lot of franticness, about, you know, really forcing the game. But I think when you go down away from home, uh, Exeter, you, you, you're always going to be a little bit like, God, we've got to do something a bit different. Um, in the first half, nothing went right. Skills were really, really poor. Um, we hadn't got the right balance between that, the mental and the physical. Um, you know, it wasn't like the guys weren't trying, but like they just weren't on it. They weren't winning any collisions. There was no dominant defen- defensive tackles. Um, we were shipping on shit. No one would just like took the hit. Um, and yeah, just nothing went our way. In the second half, I thought our team deserved a huge amount of credit, actually. I actually think that as an overall showing, this was not a good thing. And the first half was really, really bad. And I was in a really dark place. But honestly, I think that second half showing is one of the most promising experiences I've had because I sat through it. And normally I'd be like, oh, God, I'm not even sure I can sit here uh, and just watch us get tanked away from home and just watch us kind of claw our way back into the game and force ourselves to keep physical. And although we didn't still weren't getting the bounce of the ball, whilst we were still being a bit frantic, we couldn't get through the phases in the, in the, the way we'd like. I just think to come away with a losing bonus point and win the second half 12-0, uh, I think our boys deserve quite a lot of credit. And I hope that that enables them to frame the next game in a really positive way. I think if we'd come away with nothing, I'd be really worried about the Gloucester game. But actually, uh, you know, what about you, Lewis? What did you think? Um, I think you're right in that it's very promising to, to have that second half, to, to nil Exeter, you know, the, the sort of conviction at the end to get your losing bonus point on 78 minutes, you know, make sure you get something out of the game. I think in the long run, this is going to be a very important point for, for sale. Uh, and actually, if you look at the table, you know, Exeter are, are sort of starting to, to get back into the, the top four conversation rather than the, the top six. But, you know, 
they didn't get a, a, a try bonus point. We've had times where we we really struggled against Exeter and they've, they've run away from us. It did show a lot of gumption and a lot of character to come back into the game, especially after a lot of injuries in that first half as well. It, it's a very sort of promising showing. That the problem is, you you would have liked that second half showing to be in addition to a good passage of play for for twenty minutes in that first half. If you'd done that, we'd be talking about potentially getting a win. Uh, at Sandy Park rather than just coming away with a losing bonus point. So it was enough to keep us in touch. But it is, I think, still a bit disappointing in that we, we put together a very good 40 minutes, but not, not, a, not a good 80 minutes. Um, Alex, James obviously mentioned that, that sort of turnaround in the second half. What, what, what changed for, for you in sales performance in that second half, do you think? Um, we got a bit more parity at the scrum, I think, which helped. Um, I think that the introduction of Joe Jones really helped uh, our game. I think bringing on Faf, um, it almost seemed to suit him. The game was so frantic that, you know, everyone was making mistakes. So it may as well be Faf making mistakes because 50% of the time he's going to do something wonderful. Um, so I think there was an element of that. Um, I think the changes sort of almost perversely helped us. You know, Curtis Lanyon came on and had a really, really good second half. Um, and it was it was almost, yeah, you know, a positive as well that we kept you and Ashman on the field because actually I thought his work in the loose was good. It was just his line-up throwing that wasn't wasn't quite going right. So to bring you able to bring on Langdon but keep that impact in the loose from both of them was was good. You know, it's we were so poor in the first half and actually Exeter weren't very good, I didn't think. Because they were 12 nil up and, you know, they scored right at the end of the first half to go 19 nil up. But they should have had the bonus point in the first half. We were that bad. We would just had absolutely no idea, no invention, getting dominated. And they were able to... What's really frustrating is that they spent last week against Northampton going wide really quickly. So it was obvious what they were going to do. And our defensive setup didn't change. We still played our defensive system and it just got completely exposed. So, you know, that's why they found so much space out wide because they were just whipping it wide as fast as they could. And our wingers were standing, you know, 15, 20 metres into the field. So there's loads of space. Um, so, yeah, I think they really exposed that in the first half. I think we adapted a lot in the second half to that, which meant that, you know, when they were attacking, they weren't as dangerous. And then we were able to put our power game on them and dominate them in the collision and at the breakdown, which we just didn't do at the first half. You know, when they had the ball, it wasn't even like they were maintaining possession for a long time. They were, they were making 50 metres in, you know, a phase. It was ridiculous how easy it was for them to get around our defence. And it's worrying because it's a blueprint for the rest of the league. Just give it to your 10, who's got a big pass on him, and absolutely fire it out to your winger. You know, um, so I think that second half, we adapted on the field, which was good to see. And I agree with James. It showed a bit of player, uh, player nous and, and a bit of heart to do that. Because, as we say, if it hadn't been for that first half, you know, Exeter were a bit there for the taking this weekend, I think. And I think we were so poor in that first half that actually we ended up consigning ourselves to a loss that felt inevitable, but wasn't on, on you know, the strength of the game. So, um I think there were there were a few things that changed, but I think most of all, it was the players adapting to the game situation and slightly changing our defensive system, 
gaining parity at set piece because we threw away a lot of ball at set piece, both scrum and line out in the first half, which just then when we could actually play. And when we played, we looked all right. We built phases. You know, we were looking good in the collision. We were retaining the ball relatively well against a really, really threatening extra side of the breakdown. But again, that comes back to the frustration of, you know, if we'd done that for... Even if we'd done that 20 minutes into the first half. No, I'm not saying we had to do it from the start of the game, but we actually didn't step off the bus until half-time. I know it's an easy thing to say, but that's the frustration, I think, because we were only 12-0 down with 37 minutes gone or whatever it was. If we'd managed to hold out at the end of that first half by throwing a line out in their 22 to our players rather than theirs and similar, um, we could have snuck a draw, a win or a victory. It's a very different game, isn't it? It, it just becomes, you know, 12, 12 nil at half time, 12 nil towards in the second half. All of a sudden, we're coming away with two points rather than one and preventing a team above us in the table from, from um, building on their lead above us in the standings. And it, it, it's these these fine margins. And it is interesting what you kind of said because I've got to look at some of the numbers here. And over the course of the game, Exeter made eight clean breaks to Sale's three. But actually, Sale beat 30 defenders to Exeter's 19. And it's a really good point that you made about how they were playing because you don't need to beat a defender if there's no one in front of you. Um, and that that in the first half was was so potent a, a weapon for Exeter. In, in, a, in a bit of a change, really, to how we expect them to play. Um, and, and like you said, our, our defence was far too narrow um, and it was giving them easy yards. And it's just these little things where you think, well, actually, that, that's probably something we maybe could have prepped for. Or maybe if it wasn't a case of preparedness, it was just a case of, uh, of reacting to what was happening on, on the field. Um, so let's do some three-word reviews, which, as you can imagine, uh, you know, the themes of, of staying or, or being on the bus is, is quite prominent. So Nick uh, stayed at home. James Mayer, still on bus. Uh, Michael Graham, AJ Anonymous again. Uh, Guy Wynn Davis, uh, Sunday League stuff. Uh, Morland's rugby dad, let's go again. Uh, and Alex Etherington, injuries mounting up. Um, James, yeah, let's, let's talk about those injuries because, uh, as you'd expect, bruising encounter against Exeter, but Sale forced into a number of early changes. Rafi Quirk goes off with uh, with, with a head injury. He's, he's obviously now been confirmed as having suffered a concussion. Kearney Eustazen goes off after 35 minutes. Kobus Visa goes off after six minutes. Cameron Neal goes off just around half-time. Um from from your perspective, uh, are you concerned really that that the sort of sort of human loss here in in terms of players um, really sort of isn't isn't reflected in the fact that we only got a a single point out of the game? Well, I'd be much more worried if we hadn't got anything because we would have gone down there like <clears throat> been beaten up. And worked really hard and not got anything out of it. And after the draw against Irish, which, you know, it'll either be a positive or a negative by the end of the season, that result. And really, you know, it's, it's all on the Gloucester game, isn't it? You, you, you lose that game and you actually see that, well, we turned the corner, but it didn't turn it for very long. And we actually turned back and we win against Gloucester. And actually, it's all part of a, we're still moving forwards. We're continuing our form. We're still... Because our form has been fantastic. You know, I think there was that stat, wasn't there, that we've taken out more points than any other team since the beginning of February. Um, and so I, I think there's a lot a lot to be proud of by the fact that we did see that human loss coming out off the pitch. 
luckily not not more serious than just concussion, especially in Cam Neal's case. That was that didn't look very good at all, and I was worried about his long term health, frankly. But seeing him on the bench at the end of the game was was fantastic to see. <clears throat> Thought that was part of us just kind of holding it together and just coming away with the point. Langdon having to play in the back row, you know, John O'Ross having to come off as well, tactical substitution, but had been down with a couple of bits. So I think that the big issue we've got, frankly, is next week's one a six-day turnaround. So I don't know if the protocols, even for the ones where, you know, I mean, Cam Neal clearly isn't going to be uh, playing um, next weekend. But it does make you think, well, probably the others aren't either on a six-day turnaround. Will they be able to complete the protocols? So we're really going to be scratching our our squad, you know, scratching the base of our squad. So I think it is concerning for moving forwards, definitely. Uh, if we can get something out of that Gloucester game, we'll look back at this extra game and go, what heart, really, despite all that disruption. I just, I suppose the other thing I just wanted to say on it is, you know, it's just so frustrating. People like Kobus Visa haven't been back for long. You really want to get time on their legs um, and, you know, to have it constantly disrupted. Same with Rafi Quirk, hasn't been playing for England, had an opportunity to start. Um, I think you'll feel that he, you know, was one of his probably less good games in a sales shirt. Was a bit frantic, which he, which is often often a positive, as it is with Faf. But just like it is with Faf, sometimes it can just tip into the. Well, you're trying to do too much yourself, and I think there was a couple of a couple of those moments where he just chose to take it on himself, or got isolated, tried to take someone on physically, come off second best. So I think he'll learn from it. Um, but yeah, no, it's a bit of a shame. We're going to be quite a few bodies down, I imagine, for next week. Well, I guess trying to put a, a positive spin on it, um, Alex, I know you're someone who's very impressed by what we've seen from Joe Jones this this, this season so far since he came back from Coventry. And obviously, it's never good to, to sustain injuries, but it does give some opportunities to players in the team. Who, who caught your eye on, on Sunday? I know you mentioned De Klerk already as a bit of a positive, but you know, was the likes of you know Jones and Langdon and, and the rest who had to come on? Were you, were you pleased with how they performed? Do you think that can carry over into next week? Yeah, massively. And and I think, I thought Langdon was superb and I thought Jones was superb. And, and I think they both have been for a long time. And I was I was disappointed when we let Joe Jones go first time, to be honest. I think it was a mistake because I know there was some competition there. But, you know, looking back, um, he could have had another year or two's development in the Prem. And he was performing at a Prem level at that point. So... I think we need to keep hold of him as much as possible because I really, really like him as a player. I think he's offers a lot um, and is really solid in the scrum, which, you know, let's be honest, we have now got him as our premier tight head with Shonet injured as far as we know. And um, and Kearney Ustase not being tight head, albeit doing a good job there. So I think um, that was a really good impact to see. And I, I do, you know, it's going to force people to play up to premiership level and that is a good thing for our squad longer term because we're going to find out who can make it and who can't and let's be realistic after that performance especially after that first half are we good enough for top four this season probably not being really really honest with ourselves have we done enough this season to get top four so far absolutely not if we get in we'll have to have a really good run which we have over the last few weeks and we will have to then you know and that would might mean sneaking into fourth and going away to top of the league, whoever that may be, probably Leicester, and, and getting beaten in the semi-final. So 
so let's be realistic about the season's ambitions. Um, and then, you know, you sort of look at the table and you go, where do we need to finish to get Europe? And and is now the time to start making those changes where you bring in people and give them premiership experience who maybe wouldn't otherwise get it when the pressure's on? It might not be because, you know, we still want to secure that top six or whatever the whatever the European places will be this year. But now we're being forced into it. It's it's actually going to probably benefit us because you'd sort of, as a fan, you'd want us to do it as early as possible if we thought we weren't going to make top four. So I think being forced into that will actually be a good thing for the squad. And we'll, we'll you know, we'll test out and see whether people can make it. Because if they can't make it at this level, then, you know, that needs to be known. But equally, you need a good run at this level to prove whether you, whether you, you know, whether you're going to make it as a prem player or not. And and that will be, um, hopefully that forcing of the hand takes the pressure off Sanderson a bit and allows him to pick those players who are, could potentially be, you know, squad stalwarts for years to come. I, I think it's particularly important now because off the field, there's a lot of chatter about movement. As, as you'd expect, this is a really crucial year in in, in the kind of uh, Sanderson era where there is talk about the clerk moving on. There is talk about Diago moving on. There's now talk about Van Rensburg moving on. So there's your nine, your five, and your, your twelve. You also look at well, are we getting value for money out of someone like Kearney Eustace and could he move on? And you look at the, the the players that we're linked with and the players we signed. Obviously, there's a bit more of a, a sort of English or, or Northern Hemisphere flair to them, and it does feel like we're on the cusp of, of a quite significant sort of roster reset. And if that happens, you, you do need to know whether or not Joe Jones can replace Kearney Eustace sort of like for like. You need to know whether or not you can trust someone like Alex Groves or, or Don Barrow to, to sort of take on from from. James Phillips, who obviously retired this week. There's all these sort of pieces moving around at the moment. And and I think that that is the encouraging thing to sort of take out from this week and uh, as we go into next week, which is we, we had to, we were forced into a lot of changes. It really tested our depth and our depth stood up very well, which is a really promising sign. And actually it's, it's the likes of Jones, Langdon, slightly less heralded players, uh, at least maybe outside the club, that are kind of fueling that push. And that's the really exciting thing, because if the worst case happens and we do lose to Klerk, Van Rensburg, De Jager, et cetera, et cetera, this summer, it does put us in a position where actually we, we know Joe Jones can take over from Kearney Eustace because he's got a full season at the premiership level and has performed admirably in it as well. It's a really interesting time from a, from a squad composition perspective. And, uh, you know, even though I think we can be disappointed with the result on Sunday, that second half and the players who were who were playing in that second half do offer some hope of encouragement, and we need that because next week we're going to go into maybe our biggest game of the season so far, James, with uh, with with the visit of Gloucester to the AJ Bell on on Saturday afternoon. What what what, what should we expect from a a pretty resurgent Gloucester team in the last couple of months? Well, I mean, they've had a better season than we have, but they're within reaching distance if we win. I mean, it really is a must-win. If, if if top four is is a hope, um, and we want to do the run we've had justice, we've, we've just got to beat Gloucester, whatever the team we're put, able to put out. And and Gloucester are still in good form. It's not like they just sort of had an amazing first couple of months and then are kind of just hanging on in there. And you know, some some teams have been clawed back into a main pack. 
you actually look at Gloucester and since the turn of the year, I mean, they've won five games in all competitions. Saracens away, not in the Six Nations. So, you know, fair play. I tell you what, that's where playing on a fake pitch at King's Home makes a difference because when, you, when you're not playing that on your home surface, I think it's now very, very difficult to go away from home and play on a different surface and win. I honestly do. For any team, it's vice versa as well, right? But I just think like we just wouldn't expect to go to Saracens and get anything. So that was tremendous. They beat her Perpignan at home, Falcons away, Irish at home and Saints at home. So Irish and Saints are those, you know, two of the teams in the same sort of area as we are and, and have beaten both of those at home, which is all you can ask. And they have lost three games, but they lost to Quinns at home, which probably they're going to be disappointed about, but they're the champions. They've lost away then at Exeter and Leicester. I mean, you know, you look at that and you go, you know what? They they know what they're about this year. They, 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 you know, they, they've there's a little element of consistency to those results, isn't there? That they all kind of make sense, really. There's nothing, and, and where there's a shock, it's kind of the win away at Saracens. There's, so, you know, I think a lot of that is is Hastings. He's not playing for Scotland. He's not even in squad. There's no, you know pissing about there he's playing week in week out at Gloucester he's making a massive difference for him I think um, I think there's a big difference to sort of Lloyd, Lloyd Evans playing there every week and then just him filling in at 15 or 10 sometimes Hastings is there and he, he, he gives, them, gives them a different potency in attack which they've missed since uh, since Cipriani really um, had that really great season with them but then up front they've really added a couple of things first is like a real they're hard as nails suddenly. They've got like Reed, Jordy Reed, who is just, I've seen him a couple of times and I've always just thought average, never been worried. I've seen him on TV a couple of times this year and he is as hard as nails. He is literally just like a rock solid lump. And it's like the Gloucester days of old in the 90s, right, where it was just really, really physical. And you add Ackerman to that, he's the same sort of thing, just absolutely rock solid. And, and Jack Singleton, uh, he didn't play at the weekend. Um, Santiago Cicino played at, at Hooker, so Singleton must be injured. But, I mean, how Singleton's not playing for England, I, I just couldn't tell you. He is the best hooker in the country this year. He, he honestly is. Um, and I think it must be because he's not playing for Saracens anymore, that he's uh, he's not getting he's not getting into Eddie James's mindset. But, um, you know, how, how Blameyer is ahead of him, I couldn't tell you. And then obviously, you know, they've brought, you've got the sort of the academy lads, Jack Clement, Freddie Clark, I think just bring a bit of a youthful homegrown element to what they do as well, which I think is, which is, which is good. Um, and then they've got people like Santiago Carreras, who's such a, just a stylish player, just a really quality player, really good under the high ball. But for me, just to finish off, I've got a clear head to head, but I just can't wait to see, uh, presuming that they start, which isn't a given. Uh, which is Aaron Reed against Lewis Reese Summit? Because I mean, let's be honest, that's nuts. What are you hoping for after three minutes? Is someone's just put a kick in behind, and it's just a, a real sort of fifty meter sprint to see who can get there first? Because you're right that this is the thing that worries me about Gloucester is that I, they are a very well rounded team now. A couple of years ago. They didn't necessarily have the forward pack, but they had this group of very pacey backs who could really trouble you. And now it's hard as nails pack and some real X-factor talent in, in, in the back line. You know, a bit like how we, we really want to see Sale built. And 
you're right, it makes a massive difference having an international standard 10 uh, in, in Adam Hastings playing for them. I believe he might have been called up by Scotland today, so we might be able to avoid playing him. James has just lifted his fist up because he's, he's so pleased. Um, but it is interesting, with someone like Hastings pulling the strings at 10, with Carreras, with Resamit, with Ollie Thorley, very talented players, all got a fair amount of premiership experience as well. They, they, they can play a couple of different ways. And we saw it over the weekend when they came from behind to beat Saints 35-30. Uh, and a couple of weeks ago when they went up to Newcastle on a Saturday night and, and you know pulled out a, a pretty comprehensive win just playing stuffed up your jumper rugby. That they're, they're, they're a very well-rounded team and a real challenge actually now for, for the top four alongside Sale and Irish and, and all the rest of them. So, Alex, uh, how do we beat a team like Gloucester? Uh, you hope that Adam Hastings is on the bench for Scotland this weekend in in Rome and not uh, not released back to his club. Um, you know, I think uh, Gloucester are an interesting one because they've threatened to do this for about ten years, haven't they? They've threatened to be a really good side and and you know actually have a good season. And finally, it's sort of coming to fruition, albeit as James says, it's not the uh, it's not the kind of explosion that you expect when they've been so close for so long to be a good side and ended up finishing the you know ninth tenth eighth um they've actually kind of very under the radar put a really impressive season together they are going to be tough to deal with up front and we know that they've got Lewis Rizam at the backs and Ollie Thorley is obviously back um so they've got pace and power on the wings I think the th- the the way to beat Gloucester is up front because that is what they'll do. As James rightly says, Singleton's absolutely in red hot form and probably as good as Curtis Langdon in terms of English hookers, um, if I may be so bold. Um, so I think you know that more more in game that we've struggled with that this season and we've struggled against Gloucester with that in the past. That'll be a big one. What is weird about Gloucester, though, is that if we can break up the game, we tend to do quite well against them, you know, and and recently we've had more success than probably we would have expected to have historically. So I think there's an opportunity, but we've got to win the battle up front, and and that's where the test will be. Can you win your line out? Can you dominate the scrum, or at least, you know, ensure you're winning your own ball, which we weren't doing on the weekend? And... um, and can you be up front in your physicality, both in defence and attack? If we can do that through the forwards, I think we've got the backs to beat the Gloucester team. Genuinely, I do, especially with Reed and Rowe, but playing very well, especially with the quality of AJ and at 10 and Faf at 9, given that Rafi's won't be uh, won't be playing. And I think Faf tends to like playing against Gloucester as well. Um, so I think it's there for the taking, but we have to win the game up front. And that is, to me, where it'll be won and lost. If we can... And I have faith that we can do that, but if we can win that battle up front, then it's a bit it's similar to the Exeter game in that we always knew that it was going to be defined there. And in Exeter, against Exeter, we lost the scrums, we lost the line-out, we lost the physicality, and we were away from home, which is why we lost by seven points. Uh, against Gloucester, if we can win those things, bearing in mind the fact that we're at home, then you know, that, that should be enough to get us over the line. So that's where I see the game being won and lost, which is unusual for me, because usually I like to talk about the backs and, and you know people pulling the strings. But honestly, I just cannot see past 
that physicality and, and winning our set piece because actually the other areas of our game on the weekend weren't too bad. The attacking shape was all over the place, but I think that all came from being dominated and every bit of ball we got was on the back foot initially. And it was a real hard work to overturn that and get on the front foot, which is always going to be harder against a side who are as physical as Exeter. And similarly, Gloucester will be the same. So, yeah, I think that's where I see it. I think if you and Ashman plays, he's been called up to the Scotland squad again. If you and Ashman plays, we have to be really confident that he can hit his man in the line out and contribute to the scrum. For that reason, I'd be starting Curtis Langdon based on the weekend and Ashman off the bench. Um, the rest of the forward pack, as you said, it comes down to who's available. You know, Lude withdraws through injury. Hopefully that, sorry, through illness. Hopefully that means he might be better for next week and rested. Um, back row, as we said, we've lost Cam Neal now. Um, so Jono, Ben Curry, Dan Dupree are probably going to have to go again if they're all fit. And then that should be enough, to be fair. JP Dupree had a really good game on the weekend, I thought. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's going to be a big loss for us next season. Uh, obviously, we're bringing in Johnny Hill and we've got Alex Groves coming through from, from the academy now. Um, but I think he's performed in a lot of games for us. Um, and, you know, we actually will we'll re- we'll only realise how how much you contribute to side once he's gone. So, yeah, there's, um, you know, there's, we've got the pack to do it. But I think they're on the last legs and the bench might not be as as sort of fearsome as it has been over the last couple of weeks because we'll be dipping into those reserves, as we said. We'll be interesting just quickly on, on a tight head if Cooney doesn't get through his protocols because we don't know. We think James Harper's getting close but might be sort of three, four weeks off, I think. Um, so it might be too early for him. So Cal Ford's been playing for Sale FC. Um, he's probably the next cap off the rank, right? Uh, with Joe Jones starting, so you're going to be asking, I think, Joe Jones to pull out a, a serious shift, um, which you know he's not used to doing at a Premiership level, like pull out a seventy, you know, seventy minute game or whatever. And about a scrum half, I'd, I'd go with Gus War off the bench. He was due to start until Rafi was released by England unexpectedly. I think he's he's ahead of Cliff in the pecking order and. It'll be tempting to go with Cliff off the bench, thinking it might be a tight game to close it out. But I think we should stick to it. Gus Wall managed to get us, think himself ahead of Will Cliff in the pecking order. And if and if Rafi was playing for for England, then Gus would have had plenty of game time over the last few weeks. So I think he he'd be off the bench. But I think you're right. We can get out a 23 that at home should still should still win, even if everyone is unavailable. I'm presuming that Lude is back. If Lude isn't back, then again, I think second row and tight head, I'm a bit worried about. That's the one for me. If you're looking for a storyline in the, the build-up to the game, it's it's his Diaga fit. Because if he's fit, it means very positive things for us. And if it doesn't, it, it's just a knock-on effect. You know, you have to start JP Dupree at five. You, you bring in Don Barrow, maybe. Matt well, Postle point on the bench. Don Barrow to start. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, this is this is the thing, isn't it? There's a real sort of trickle-down effect. So if Diaga is fit, I think that does change things quite quite significantly. So let's go, given that he was ill last week, not injured, we'll go on the basis that he is starting. So, so James, your prediction for Saturday with uh, with Diaga in the lineup? I think, you know, I've got this horrible feeling inside that, that, that things aren't going to go well. I, I can't explain it, but it's just a moment for faith here. You know, it's like, you know, season on the line. I think the sale are just going to find a way. 
and it's going to be brutal out there. And I think we're going to win 19-16. Yeah, I've, I've got Sale winning 20 points to 16. Just a, another real sort of close encounter. Big performance for Curtis Langdon, I think, 75 minutes or something like that. Um, bit, of, bit of magic from De Klerk, which we've not necessarily seen this season. Uh, another try for Aaron Reeves. That's that, that's my uh, my prediction with some bonus ones in there as well. What do you reckon, Alex? Uh, I think it's going to be more comfortable. I think sale twenty five ten. I'm weirdly optimistic compared to James's uh, curious pessimism. So yeah, I'd, I'll take it while I've got it. But um, yeah, probably uh, all fall through the floor within a minute of us kicking off on Saturday. So I'm looking forward to that. So yeah, but no, I think I just feel like our backs are to the wall. And we're quite good when our back's to the wall and there's a bit of pressure on, I think. And that's the pod for this week. Uh, massive thank you to everyone who, who listened. Thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. And thank you to everyone who submitted three-word reviews. Very quickly before we go, gents, just a, a quick word on James Phillips, who it was announced... Uh, well, the news, first of all, broke by Kieran Critchard. So, so fair play, Kieran, for that one. Uh, that... Um, James Phillips has had to retire due to an injury suffered in pre-season, as, as I think a lot of us expected, but we were waiting for that confirmation. Uh, Alex, quick thoughts on, uh, on, on James Phillips' time at sale? Massively, massively impressive signing based on expectations versus delivery, and, and I think the type of player we have actually missed, and, and we'll miss this weekend, you know. Perfect player for that Gloucester game, so... Um, yeah, just just a sort of a, a good example of of how uh, how important he has been for us, and I think um, yeah, you just have to have to respect him for his contribution at the club and and, and thank him for that. And massive shame for him to be um, to have to retire through injury. It's never nice to see, but hopefully he's been well supported by the club, which it seems like he has, and um, we'll be able to have the chance last game of the season at home to Bristol to give him a. Uh, a proper send-off uh, as a part-in-sale player. So, yeah, thank you very much, James. And uh, good that it had to end like this, but, yeah, at least we'll get the chance to uh, thank him and, and say goodbye at the end of the season, hopefully. James, any um, uh, any final words for you, for your namesake? Just, just, just a lot of pressure on the likes of Groves and Barrow because, you know, Diamond had this knack of pulling people out on the lower end of the salary uh, banding probably who hadn't re- you know sort of nailed it and uh, anywhere else and likes of James Mills, uh, James Phillips. I'm telling you, like of course all of our fans were like, oh my god, Lude Diaga, or, oh my god, Johnny Hill or whatever. I'm telling you, you don't win premierships. In fact, you don't even come in the top six in the premiership without players like James Mills and James Phillips. You know, sometimes you just have to be shaped the right kind of way and have the right kind of mentality and effort on the pitch and you can make a really big difference. So huge, huge thank you, Tim. 